Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With the WWE Backlash Ultimate Preview and WWE Draft Recap Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again and we are here to break down everything that happened over the last week in the world of WWE, primarily surrounding the WWE draft itself and the build to WWE Backlash, the first premium live event following WrestleMania 39. We have so much to cover on today's episode. We are not going to waste any time right off the top here. Allow me to remind you, as always, that this podcast is all about Defied. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein and vintage Chris Vanini. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five star written review, because if you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, and so much more, including this week, polls, pre and post show polls, in fact, for WWE Backlash, where you get to tell us your expectation and final grades for WWE's next premium live event. And I would be remiss if I continued the show without informing you about our Patreon-like subscription service, you can become an official getting overhead through buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Not only do you get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling after every major television show, you also get exclusive news posts, some of which tell you a lot of what's going to happen in the world of WWE, as all of our members will already tell you, including if you happen to have joined us before April 21st, you saw a number of the NXT call-ups for the WWE Draft listed out on this service. The price, folks, is right. I happen to love the number five. And we would love it if you joined us as an official Getting Overhead. One more time, buymeacoffee.com slash over. You can also find the link in our Twitter bio at Getting Overcast. Okay, we have an absolutely loaded show for you today. I did tease last week that we have an interview one-on-one, The Silver King, and Santos Escobar coming. Unfortunately, today's show is way too packed for us to put it on this episode. We will do a special Wednesday edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast with that Santos Escobar interview. Rather, today, we're going to talk WWE Draft, the good, the bad, and the ugly from the week in WWE. And then at the end of the show, Vintage will join the Silver King for your WWE Backlash Ultimate preview, unfortunately, he's traveling right now, unable to do the entire show, but no matter. And a quick reminder, if you're listening to us way closer to Backlash, the end of the week, Friday, Saturday, whatever the case, and you want to skip over the draft talk, I hope you don't. But if you do, you can hit our episode description, look at the timestamps, and jump right to that section of the show. But folks, that is coming later. We'll be talking plenty about Backlash. First, we need to slide into the main event. This And the main event today is fully encompassed by the WWE draft, which took place over both SmackDown on Friday, Raw on Monday. There were additional picks 
made Saturday on SmackDown Lowdown, I think is the name of the show, and then even more supplemental picks that came Monday night after Raw on Raw Talk. We wrapped it all up. I have a nice package for you here. Now, we're not going to go over the entire new rosters for SmackDown and Raw because that would take forever. But I do have some overall thoughts, takeaways from Friday and Monday, respectively. Let's knock those out. And then once Backlash concludes and the new rosters start next Monday, May 8th, perhaps Chris and I can double back with some additional thoughts coming out of the draft. So Triple H opened the festivities both nights. He got his name chanted on Friday, and he did the first round of pick announcements for both nights as well. They put cameras on the outside of what were basically Raw and SmackDown war rooms, which are really just doors with logos on them and like bright lights, one red, one blue atop them. And I thought at first that it was just going to be for show. But we actually did wind up getting Rob Van Dam, Teddy Long, and Road Dog making picks for Raw on Friday with Michael PSA's JBL and Shawn Michaels making picks for SmackDown. And then on Monday, they had JBL draft for Raw with RVD, Road Dog, and Teddy Long drafting for SmackDown. And it's like, why can we not use a shred of common sense here? Like, for heaven's sake. It did not make any sense, first of all, for a longtime SmackDown general manager, Teddy Long, to ever be picking for Raw on Friday. And then to have Teddy, RVD, Road Dog, and JBL draft for different brands on night one and night two, why would that be the case? Wouldn't they be like contracted to a specific brand helping those executives or people in charge determine who to draft? And wouldn't they then have allegiance and alignment to that brand? Like these are such simple details that it was honestly stunning to me for them to be overlooked, not considered, or just ignored. To me, that's sloppy creative, pure and simple. When you have people for two nights, have them draft for the same brands, use consistency. I don't know why that is so hard. There was also a live stream from the Performance Center with NXT talent watching and reacting to the draft. There were parts of it that were corny, like when they first went over there and everyone was just cheering. But the actual reactions of the superstars getting drafted was by far the best part of the entire WWE draft. It's tough to say whether the call-ups knew ahead of time. Maybe they had an inkling They knew that they might be moving, but not necessarily to what brand. But some of those reactions that we got definitely seemed genuine. So let's go ahead and jump to Friday's draft. Uh, Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman and Solo Sokoa were listed as the bloodline in the Friday pool with the Usos separate in Monday's pool. Now, that was an interesting setup because so many other factions and groups were all listed together. For example, Judgment Day was all together with Rhea Ripley separate because she was champion. So if the bloodline was together, but Roman was separate as champion, then that would have been an alignment type of move where both are handled the same way. But then you had Imperium, where Gunther was just with the other two guys in the Monday pool, not separate either. So that didn't really make a lot of sense the way they did this. And I get it. You have Roman Reigns and his heavy, his enforcer, his protector, but they're not a tag team. So it was just odd for that to be the case. Uh, Cody Rhodes was chosen number two overall by Raw. That does make sense in kayfabe, except in reality, it creates obvious concerns about his contention for the World Heavyweight Championship away from Reigns when Cody should be nowhere near a title other than the WWE Universal Championship at this time. They also had Bianca Belair 
the Raw Women's Champion get drafted to SmackDown, which is the second straight draft where they've done that. Not to mention, they've done this before with the tag team titles. And honestly, it's just idiotic. Like there is no sense of logic involved in drafting the other brand's champion and then having to just switch the titles if that's what they do. If you wanted Belair on SmackDown, just have her lose to Asuka at WrestleMania, leave Asuka on Raw, and then boom, Belair's on SmackDown. You're done. It's easy. Imperium, including Gunther, and the Intercontinental Championship, they went over to Raw. That was fine, other than in the moment a concern I had that we would lose Samantha Irvin's ring announcement for all of them. Except the good news is she's actually moving to Raw as well with her fiance, Ricochet, who also got chosen by Raw in the draft on Monday. So that was a close call, but we got past it. Keeping Gunther away from Reigns is a smart decision, especially given how thin SmackDown's roster ended up being from a men's singles perspective. More on that in a minute. Shinsuke Nakamura got drafted to Raw. That marks his first time ever full-time on the red brand. Super interesting. As I said, the best part of the night was seeing Kaylee Ray, now Alba Fire, along with Isla Dawn and Indy Hartwell, all drafted up from NXT. Now, it is incredibly strange to draft them all as champions, especially when Indy was booked in a title match three days earlier on a special TV show where she could have easily dropped the title without being pinned in a triple threat. If the plan is to have her work both shows and like bring crossover audience to NXT, then that would solve my complaint. But now she has a badly injured ankle. And who knows, she may have to relinquish the title anyway. You, In fact, you may be listening to this podcast after NXT on Tuesday, and maybe she already has relinquished the title. So that was odd. The women's tag team titles, though, being brought up, we'll talk more about that in a moment. And lastly, there was an insane discrepancy in talent numbers coming out of Friday. There were 16 superstars drafted to SmackDown and 10 to Raw. That despite Raw being an hour longer show. They had six fewer superstars. Now, they did rectify that with the supplemental draft, and they rectified it even further after Monday's draft. But in the moment, it was extremely odd the way the draft pools were made to create such a discrepancy coming out of the first night of the draft. So then we moved to Monday, night two of the draft. That started with Ripley getting drafted to Raw and Austin Theory going to SmackDown to keep the respective women's and mid-card champions you know, across separate shows. So they swapped both of them, basically. In an absurd move, I would say, Theory was actually selected over Seth Rollins, which would not happen in any legitimate draft anywhere, even if he is the United States champion. You pick talent over title. But the championship was the kayfabe explanation for Theory going in round one and Rollins going in round two. But you just have to admit it was ridiculous. We never got any clear answer as to what's going to happen with the women's titles. A possible split of the tag team titles or something like that could come down the line. If it's up to me, they finally pull the trigger and rename the damn women's titles. One of them's the WWE Women's Championship. The other is the Universal Women's Championship. It is really not that hard. I would make Ripley's white and black and Bel Air's white and blue. It would be an aesthetic fit, the names would make sense, and we wouldn't have to deal with this bullshit anymore of branded titles needing to be swapped. As far as the tag team titles, honestly, I'd probably just keep it a single title and have it defended across both brands. In lieu of that, 
I would do a simple forced vacation of the SmackDown title. A double pin would have been the most creative way to split them in that WrestleMania rematch that we got Friday on SmackDown, but that opportunity has now passed. You maybe have Adam Pearce tell them, hey, we need you to relinquish the SmackDown titles. You have Kevin Owens raise a stink about it. Why are you making us do it when you didn't expect the Usos to do it when they were champions? And then ultimately he relents and that's what happens. I'd be fine with it in theory. It's a little bit lazy, but at some point you're gonna need to split these belts if you're going to have one on each show. Just personally, what I would do is have the men's tag team titles and the women's tag team titles cross-brand. So at any given time, you have men's storylines on Raw, women's on SmackDowns, you cross them over and you do the opposite. I think it makes all the sense in the world. Yes, there are a lot of men's tag teams now in WWE. The rosters have been built up significantly, both with uh, tag teams that have been created naturally in WWE, a couple call-ups from NXT as well. So you could definitely support two men's tag team titles. I just think it gets really convoluted when you have that many championships. And I do think you need two world titles. I think you need two women's titles. And I think you need two mid-card titles. But you can still have two tag team championships, just one men and one women, and still execute what you're really trying to accomplish. So that's what I would do if I had the book and the creative pen. Uh, Monday's draft, unlike Friday's, was heavily in favor of Raw. They added some of the biggest names from SmackDown, Sami Zayn, Braun Strowman, Ricochet, the women's champions, the Rousey team. Meanwhile, SmackDown basically stayed the same. They only added Austin Theory and Asuka from Raw. That's it. Everyone else was either already on the blue brand or from NXT. Most notable about Monday was a heavy influx of NXT call-ups. My girls, Katana Chance and Caden Carter were the last pick for Raw, and I could not have been more excited. I like it. I like it a lot. You also had Pretty Deadly, Cameron Grimes, and Grayson Waller all get called up from SmackDown. Real big moves there. Both guys and the team Pretty Deadly all completely deserving of being on the main roster and the right time to move all of them to the main roster. Now that said, I was shocked by the sheer number of NXT call-ups across both nights. There were 17 in total. That is a legitimately massive number when there's already plenty of wrestlers not getting consistent TV time. And some of them were super confusing. So let's kind of throw them in two buckets. Here were the no-brainers. Grimes, Waller, Unholy Union, that's Alba Fire and Isla Dawn for those who don't know. Pretty Deadly, Apollo Crews back to the main roster. JD McDonough, Indy Hartwell, Zoe Stark, Katana Chance and Caden Carter. That is 12 of them, all of them no-brainers. But then we also got Odyssey Jones, who's a neophyte, Indu Sure, who they're experienced and them being called up is fine. I mean, all of them have already been on the main roster previously, but necessary, not really sure. Vaughn Wagner, also a neophyte and just nowhere near ready. And Zion Quinn, who's been in the system for a while, but has not really shown much of anything besides a good look. Like I said, you can make a case for Indu Share, but the rest, not ready for prime time. And both Wagner and Quinn are listed as free agents. They're not even on a brand. So what's the need for them in that case? And that really brings us to one of my other overall takeaways. There are 10 wrestlers listed as 
free agents. Now, Brock Lesnar and Omos being free agents, okay. I can buy it. They're special cases. And they gave us storyline reasons. Brock Lesnar renegotiated his contract to ensure he remained a free agent. MVP went to bat for Omos, ensuring that he was able to move between both brands so he could get signature matches because that's what a guy his size and skill deserves. Fine, no issue. But why are you going through this entire draft process with 100 wrestlers, literally, I counted, it was exactly 100, being split between two shows to leave eight other guys without designations? Mustafa Ali, Dolph Ziggler, Baron Corbin, Elias, Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin, plus Wagner and Quinn. That is just nonsensical to me. Elias should be a team with Boogs. Easy. They're getting along. They're doing great stuff on Raw Talk. They're pretty funny. You drafted Boogs. Why wasn't Elias with him? Cedric and Shelton should just be on one show as a team. Ali, I heard, was getting a push, but now he has no home. Ziggler and Corbin make sense in kayfabe if you want to tell stories with them being free agents. And then Wagner and Quinn, I can't even believe they're called up in the first place. So again, I have no idea where this came from. It doesn't really make any sense. And probably worse than anything else, if the rosters were thin and you needed 10 people to be free agents so that you could get them involved in storylines and have them float between brands so that you were never short talent, it would make sense. But let me repeat, 100 wrestlers were split between SmackDown and Raw. It's five hours of television. You ain't putting 20 people on per hour of TV every single week. You have plenty of talent that's already been divided up. And by the way, let me also note, that 100 names does not include the big list of names who are injured or not available or whatever the case might be, who were not put on any brand. And we're talking, I could go through the whole list, but Tommaso Ciampa and Randy Orton and Alexa Bliss, Bray Wyatt, et cetera, et cetera. So there's already a ton of free agents. Now there's like 20 free agents that are not attributed to any brands. It just does not make a shred of sense to me. And that really brings me to another point. After all these years, even with some changes and clearly drastic improvements to creative, WWE still does not get the basics of the draft right. It's difficult to make these talent decisions. I get it. It's kind of unenviable to some degree. But when you're planning it out to this level, there are easy checks and balances that you can make to ensure that you're not moving champions. Or if you do, it's a mid-card situation like with Gunther and Theory where the titles aren't branded and it's an easy swap. Or if you are going to move the women, you have an immediate plan in place to have it make sense in the moment. And there's no need for free agents. And again, if you're doing war rooms, designate people to those specific brands. Now, a lot of what you just heard were complaints. I understand that. But none of that is really to say this was a bad draft because when you put it in the context of past WWE drafts, it was actually an improved presentation from the last two. The call-ups made it exciting, though half of them happened off of TV. And there were certainly some that were strange to be off TV, like Grayson Waller, who you would think they'd want to be dead set right in the middle of television so he could cut a promo and get people really excited and all that type of stuff. 
And on that note, Ben Poor just did write in with a couple of questions about the draft, one of which was, you know, what do you think about the fact that Waller was not picked in the draft on TV, but on Raw Talk? I think it was a mistake straight up. I don't know why you're picking Cameron Grimes on TV, who hasn't returned and hasn't been on TV in months, when you could pick Waller, cut to the Performance Center, have him cut that promo, and then just debut Grimes on TV whenever he returns. It was kind of the first mention of Grimes in months, and it was a picture. Like, it didn't really make any sense why they would do that. He also asked, after so many teases and builds, none of the tag team stables split because of the draft. Am I correct? Not only so, they drafted them together all the time. It really made no sense. It did make no sense. Now, look, we can't have it both ways. We can't say, oh, we hate it when WWE breaks up teams and factions and groups for no reason, and then be angry that they didn't break up any teams, factions, or groups. But I guess the point is that they promoted it so heavily, the fact that it could happen, and yet didn't do it at all, or didn't even have the people separated in the draft pools to create the possibility of it happening. Really, the only two where it was possible were Bloodline and Judgment Day, and it was very clear neither of them were actually going to get split. But like I said, none of this is to say it was a bad draft. I do think ultimately it was a improvement from the last two that we have gotten. Let's go ahead and break down the divisions for each of the brands, and then I'll kind of give you a conclusion on the entire thing. So Raw has a stronger and one-third larger women's division, which is appropriate given the amount of time that they have for TV. Now, of course, they have to use the women, but nevertheless, it is appropriate for it to be a larger division. Uh, It also has three women's tag teams compared to two for SmackDown, one of which Damage Control is likely to break up sooner than later, which, as we've talked about, will be the right decision. Now, the men's tag team divisions are kind of equally mediocre. SmackDown has the better teams on average, especially if Alpha Academy breaks up on the Raw side. Raw just has, like, more, a little bit from a depth perspective. Again, this kind of speaks to what I was talking about previously. It may actually make better sense to just unify the tag team titles for the men and really do the same thing for the women. This is a good opportunity for me to mention that. Uh, You have Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez. They're on the Raw brand. You've called up from NXT, Alba Fire and Isla Dawn, the NXT Women's Tag Team Champions, the Unholy Union. There's going to be a tag team title match on NXT this Tuesday with Caden Carter and Katana Chance, who also just got called up. So even if there's a title change, no matter who takes the titles, They're going to be on the main roster. Both teams are going to be on the main roster. I would not be surprised if we have the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions against the NXT Women's Tag Team Champions at Night of Champions to merge the titles and bring them back to their original intention, which was to float not just between Raw and SmackDown, but between NXT as well. In fact, the way the NXT Women's Division is developing right now, they've lost a lot of teams through breakups, and through call-ups. If I was NXT, I would introduce the equivalent of a North American title for the women and have a mid-card women's title rather than a women's tag team title down there. It's great to have one on the main roster. They need to book it better. I would consider going away from it in NXT if this is the plan or if this is what they ultimately do. I think it would make a lot of sense. Uh, The men's singles division on SmackDown, it's basically just like a list of opponents whom Roman Reigns has not fought yet or not fought in a while. 
Bobby Lashley, AJ Styles, Sheamus, Karrion Cross. You can say Jey Uso as well. It is extremely thin in the mid card. Now, if they, if they take the Street Profits and they have them wrestle singles, that would definitely help. And I could see sooner than later, Solo Sokoa winning the United States Championship. That would make a lot of sense. The men's singles on Raw has a ton of potential world heavyweight champion contenders and enough talent to live up to Triple H's work rate mantra for the title. Cody Rhodes, Matt Riddle, Drew McIntyre, Shinsuke Nakamura, Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Johnny Gargano. That is a sick list. There's also Apollo Crews, JD McDonough, Ricochet, not to mention Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, once they lose the titles, could work in singles. I mean, holy shit. That is an insane men's singles division for one show. And like I said, it is way heavily pushed in the raw direction. Plenty of contenders for the World Heavyweight Championship. Plenty of challengers for Gunther and the Intercontinental title, except for one man, Sheamus, who is still on SmackDown with the Brawling Brutes. And that is disappointing, obviously. But I would say the men's singles division is easily the most uneven across the two programs. Raw just dominates SmackDown in that regard. And we'll wrap it up here with a question from Jason C at iJasonPro. He asked me to grade the draft. The question though is, what am I grading? The presentation? The quality of the roster split? I guess for like an all-encompassing grade, I would give it a B. Lots of good call-ups, a couple questionable ones, and a surprisingly huge number in totality. Some interesting roster moves. A couple of the same folks on SmackDown. Seems like that roster is going to be kind of boring. It had a better presentation, but there were some confusing decisions. Mid-card titles changing brands is fine. Women's titles changing brands is messy. So it's a back and forth both ways. I would say definitely more good than bad, but there were parts that frustrated me. So I can't go A. I will say a flat B. It was a B draft. I'm very excited about the future of Raw. I'm very curious about the future of SmackDown. So now that we have wrapped up talk on the WWE draft, let's move out of the main event to the second of four segments on today's show. You know it, you love it. It is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything do says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some Jordan. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in them articles that I read. I gotta say, I feel like this intro is a huge improvement over the original one that we used. Every time I hear it, I, I just, I'm so happy that we went in this direction. But alas, let's move to the good, the bad, and the ugly itself. We'll start with Paul Heyman, who followed the first round of draft picks on Raw. He said that he would address the Usos tag team title loss later, promising Roman Reigns would be at SmackDown two Fridays from now to address all necessary business, including the new World Heavyweight Championship. Heyman suggested that Reigns having it would make the title relevant before clarifying, of course, that Roman won't compete for it. Then he started taking freaking shots, somewhat out of nowhere, leading Seth Rollins out. Rollins said being on Raw meant Roman didn't have to run from him and Paul didn't have to worry about him getting his deserved rematch for the WWE Universal Championship. And then Seth gave a spoiler, and that was he would win the new title at Night of Champions. 
There was a fun bit with Heyman taking a call from Reigns in the ring, the crowd singing to kind of drown it out, Paul losing his shit at them. Heyman said Rollins pissed off Reigns, so Seth started threatening him until Solo Sokoa came out for the save. Paul announced they would fight one-on-one later. The fans were on absolute fire for Rollins. This crowd, Fort Worth, incredible. Uh, It was a really strong confrontation with Heyman, playing off the history with Reigns, the new title, etc. It was both serious and funny, really good stuff. Then we had Rollins against Sokoa in the main event. Rollins had a trio of tope suicidas, but got caught inside with a Samoan drop and spinning solo for a false finish. Rollins talked shit and ate another spinning solo. Rollins then ran Sokoa into the post outside and hit rolling forearms, but the Usos just straight up ran in for a very obvious disqualification. The faces made the save and the show ended in a brawl. It got cut off early, largely because the Judgment Day segment went long and this had to rush to the finish. Uh, The match was slow. The entire segment, like I said, went long. And the finish, I thought, was absolutely brutal. You'd never have thought a Rollins-Sokoa match would be a dud. But with neither of them being allowed to win clean or even semi-clean, this ended up for me just being straight up bad. No other way around it. It was a supremely disappointing main event for what was largely a positive show on Monday night. We'll move back to SmackDown. We had the Tag Team Championships on the line, WrestleMania rematch, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, this time defending the titles against the Usos. After the first draft picks, the Usos hit the stage praising Reigns for going number one overall, explaining how Roman has ghosted them since WrestleMania, but promising to bring the titles back to the bloodline anyway. The champions interrupted to point out the Usos weren't included in the bloodline draft pick, so KO then lost his mind, promising they would retain the titles. Heyman later pumped up the Usos, saying they can return to the Isle of Relevancy as champions rather than the Ocean of Obscurity as ex-champions. Then he handed tape to Solo so that he could wrap his thumb, with the insinuation being he'd get involved in the match. Sammy hit a big Topicon hero on both Usos, plus a sunset flip powerbomb and blue thunderbomb on Jay. KO got the hot tag with a fisherman's buster and swanton bomb on Jimmy. Backstage during the match, Heyman took a call from Reigns and told Sokoa, quote, Tonight, it is your night. Then Solo left the room. Zayn ate a super kick while flying outside as Owens stunned Jimmy for a false finish. Sokoa then walked out only for Matt Riddle to intercept him on the ramp. KO ate four super kicks for a false finish, then four more for another one. KO ate a couple more for another kick out, then took a really snug one from Jay, but Sammy interrupted 1D. Owens stunned Jimmy and tagged Sammy for the Huluva kick as the clean 1-2-3 was achieved to retain the titles in 18 minutes. Sokoa looked on, shaking his head from deep in the crowd, while the Usos were utterly shocked at ringside as SmackDown went off the air. Obviously, this was nowhere near the WrestleMania match in terms of atmosphere, work rate, storytelling, the whole thing. But for a TV main event, it was a hell of a match. I'm going 4.25 stars in an A. Most importantly, of course, is the actual title retention. Whether KO and Sammy ultimately wind up at Blood Money in the Sand is really no matter at this point. Barring a quick feud introduced in the next couple of weeks, it seems like they'll have the titles one way or another. It does feel like a split of the titles or something with them is coming sooner than later, but that's a conversation for another time. This segment, the main event of SmackDown, a definite, no doubter, good. Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez fought Bailey and Dakota Kai in a non-title match on Raw. The champions did a couple really dumb, like, assisted moves that didn't work. It's like they were forcing 
themselves to do tag team moves, but they didn't really think them through. Raquel ran through Dakota on a hot tag. Bailey sacrificed herself for Kai, taking a bull rush into the ropes, but Dakota still ate a second fallaway slam and a corkscrew elbow from Raquel. Bailey pulled Rodriguez's leg to prevent the finisher. Kai finally brought back the chiropractor, which we haven't seen since like early days pre 2.0 NXT. She got that on Liv for a broken fall. Liv caught Dakota with oblivion, but Bailey had blind tagged right before the move, caught her in a sunset flip pinning combination with the champions taking the L in a non-title match. And that makes this such a tough grade. On one hand, they got 10 minutes and really showed out. All four of them, really. Dakota was the MVP. It was a solid women's tag team match, and the heels sold their asses off to make the faces look good. But then the champions lost, and it was just their second regular tag team match since winning the titles three or four weeks ago. Commentary sold it as Bailey's experience winning out and that the other side is a new team. Sure, it's clear they're still going to be telling the breakup storyline to some degree as well. But man, it is rough booking for a division that needs established champions to have them lose a non-title match in their second tag team match since winning the titles. I'm going to go with good because I trust that it was done with intention and not willy-nilly. Maybe it's so that they have a match on TV and the faces win and retain the titles and that leads to the breakup of damage control and also sets up the champions to be in a spot where, as I mentioned earlier, they possibly merge the titles with the NXT ones at Night of Champions. All of this is possible. I'm going good in hopes that it will all make sense why they lost this match. But again, second regular tag team match since winning the titles. Losing a non-title match, generally, that is really piss poor booking. Uh, Butch fought LA Knight on SmackDown. There was an online build for this last week, apparently. Butch hit a springboard moonsault outside and countered the BFT. Knight, a couple moments later, countered into the BFT for the win. He got a legitimately big pop, especially given he's a heel against a babyface. It was good for Knight to get TV time. The match was just okay. The Street Profits fought Ricochet and Braun Strowman and the LWO in a triple threat match. The Profits cut a basic post-draft promo on SmackDown before the match. They got moved over along with Bianca Belair. Braun convinced Ricochet to let him toss his ass over the ropes outside. This was a callback to last week where Strowman got concussed and accidentally threw Ricochet in the ring to nobody in the, the most obvious botch that he's probably ever had in a match. And this is despite Braun getting called up to the main roster as a total neophyte with almost no experience. Uh, so the callback was funny. I always love when they poke fun at themselves. LWO hit some topes. Strowman did the train thing, but he got leveled by Angelo Dawkins with a tope suicida. Then Ricochet took out Dawkins with a sick tope seated sent on. Dawkins avoided a high risk from Rick, catching him with the anointment and the frog splash from Ford for the win. Some damn fun spots in this match. The right winners uh, as the most legitimate team of the three. It was good as a filler match on draft night. This is when I knew it was going to be a very light storyline show. Ricochet and Braun Strowman fought Alpha Academy. Gable hit Chaos Theory on Rick before, well, you know what we got here. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight. Braun and Otis fully went at it. Strowman hit a running crossbody and body slam on Otis with Ricochet adding the skyscraper Swanton Bomb off Braun's shoulders for the win in a couple of minutes. This match was way, way, way too short. And it was so strange to see Otis take the fall 
so easily, though, there's nothing wrong with losing to Strowman. And again, I presume it's part of their storyline. I'm vexed here, just like I was with the women's match. The difference between the two is that women's match got like 10, 11 minutes. The champions looked really good coming out of it despite the loss, and it did seem to serve a specific storyline purpose. I can't say any of those things about this match. Yes, Strowman and Rick look good, but it was a four-minute match. Nothing was really accomplished. So I went good with the women, but I'm going bad here, splitting the difference. If we get more of it next week, I'll reconsider. But what we got was just really kind of stupid. Uh, The OC with AJ Styles returned for the first time in months on SmackDown after getting drafted to that brand. The Viking Raiders interrupted them immediately. I got to say, the crowd was decent for most of the night. But the lack of response to Styles was shocking. Maybe they didn't realize it because they came out to the OC logos and the OC music. But still, once he showed up, you'd think they'd be all about chanting AJ Styles. Styles got out of the way of the confrontation. He sat on the top rope. The other six men and women brawled with the OC coming out on top after Magic Killer. Styles then said they were just getting started. As it looked like they were leaving, Styles popped back in the ring and hit a phenomenal forearm. It was great to see them all back. But holy shit, could Creative not have picked a team other than the Raiders to get squashed by these guys? How about Hit Row or Maximum Male Models or anyone who's a relative jobber by comparison to the Viking Raiders? Like, it seemed like the purpose of this was to make a tag team match for the SmackDown on Puerto Rico. Fine. But that match isn't even being promoted anymore. So I just don't understand why they chose the Raiders for this. It seemed not like they were burying them, but like they were taking a shit on a team that is one of your more legitimate teams in both of your divisions, especially after the draft split things up across both brands. I'm going to say marginal good because we got a surprise return. I just did not like the way this was achieved. And then lastly, Shinsuke Nakamura was being interviewed backstage on SmackDown after getting drafted to Raw. Karrion Cross straight up attacked him from behind in a decently brutal fashion, setting up a singles match between them on SmackDown from Puerto Rico. It was a basic attack. And then on Raw, Shinsuke guested on Miz TV, getting his full awesome entrance. Miz said that he would be a better world heavyweight champion than Nakamura and suggested they team up. Then they did this kind of skit with Nakamura getting Miz to have the crowd chant tiny balls in Japanese, not knowing that's what he was saying. And then once Nakamura revealed it, it got an audible laugh from the crowd, Shinsuke, and me on my couch. I actually laughed out loud. Embarrassed, Miz attacked, and Shinsuke leveled him with Kinshasa to stand tall. Neither of these two segments was that notable, but on Raw, Nakamura looked like a star again with his entrance. It was great to see him allowed to speak, and the presentation that we've gotten on Nakamura over the last two weeks is exactly what they never should have gone away from with him. So it's a good, and I'm very excited about his potential on Raw. Okay, so with the good, the bad, and the ugly now all wrapped up, as promised, it is time to welcome in vintage Chris Vanini for our 2023 WWE Backlash Ultimate Preview. As always, we are going to break down every single match on this upcoming card from Puerto Rico. Uh, We're going to talk about all seven matches, way more than we normally get on a premium live event these days. And of course, at the end, we will hook you up with our pre-show expectation grades. All of you will be able to vote in our pre-show expectation grade poll on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast. We're going to do that, of course, about one hour before Backlash begins on Saturday, so be sure to look out for that. And as always, 
Don't forget to join us here as soon as Backlash goes off the air for an instant analysis podcast. Chris, I know you're on the road. I appreciate you making the time. I'm sure the getting overheads appreciate it as well to come here and do the Backlash Ultimate Preview. Yeah, second straight week, busy with college football meetings. I'm out in Arizona today, so add that to the long list of places I've recorded this podcast. But it's the Backlash Ultimate Preview. I couldn't miss that because we got a pay-per-view coming this weekend. Clearly prioritizing work over your fun wrestling podcast, which I don't really think is the right call, but no, nevertheless, uh, no, it's great to have you here. And, and we do really appreciate you taking time, especially when you're away to do it. I know when I'm at the masters or when you're at games, it's, it's, it's legitimately difficult to sit down and like turn your brain over to wrestling, especially when you're watching it either on YouTube clips or streaming it on your computer while you're doing something else to kind of catch up. It's very difficult to do. So Chris, we appreciate the time. Let's not waste any more of it. Let's get into breaking down this card. And we'll start with the United States Championship, Austin Theory defending against Bobby Lashley and Bronson Reed. Now, I'd love to tell you that there was a whole bunch of additional build for this match on Raw Monday night that I could kind of you know tell you the storyline going in and, and all the uh, exchanges between the wrestlers. There really wasn't any. Uh, here's what I can tell you. Uh, Bronson Reed got drafted to Raw, and Bobby Lashley and Austin Theory got drafted to SmackDown. Also, Imperium, with Gunther, got drafted over to Raw, which means the Intercontinental title is now on Raw. The United States Championship is now on SmackDown. So let me go ahead and tell you who is not winning this match. Bronson (laughs) Reed is not winning this match. That brings us to Bobby Lashley or Austin Theory retaining the title. And we always kind of do process of elimination when it's a multi-person match, Chris. So for me, it's pretty easy here. Like Bobby Lashley is on SmackDown, at least I think, to be a challenger for Roman Reigns. One of perhaps a few if he's going to drop the title at SummerSlam or one of perhaps many if he's going to drop it, let's say at WrestleMania next year. And at this point, we can't even predict when Reigns is actually going to lose the WWE Universal Championship. I think giving Lashley the IC title would allow him to stay away from Roman Reigns long enough. U.S. title, U.S. title, U.S. title. You said IC title. Thank you for the correction. Giving him the U.S. title would allow him to stay away from Reigns long enough if you're trying to have him fight Reigns, you know, at SummerSlam to not be the person who wins it or even further past that in November or December or maybe even at the Royal Rumble. You give him the IC title now, he steps into that Gunther role where therefore, you know, they don't really have to interact that much and then you eventually get to the match because they're both going to be on the same brand. But if you're going to use Lashley sooner and really SummerSlam is soon, it's really not that far away at this point, then I don't know why you put the title on him at this juncture. So I'm really, I'm split 50-50. I see the case for, I see the case against. My expectation is something's going to happen where like Bronson Reed and Bobby Lashley go at it heavy. Lashley spears his ass. Theory throws Lashley out of the ring and covers Bronson Reed and retains the title. So I'm going to go with Theory retaining the title, but I think there's a great case for Lashley to win it. Yeah, like first off, an obligatory big meaty men slap and meet for Bobby Lashley and Bronson Reed. Absolutely. Uh, That will be good. It's it all kind of ties together, which is what is Roman Reigns doing next? And we don't really know. And Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes are not on that show anymore. So, yeah, 
is, is Cody going to suddenly turn things around and get to Roman at SummerSlam somehow? Or who else is it going to be? It feels like Bobby Lashley makes sense. If it's going to be Bobby Lashley, get him on a bit of a roll going into that. But for that to happen, he needs to win the U.S. title in this match. So it doesn't really fit. And if you're taking if Roman's not going to be on the show every week on SmackDown and Gunther's not going to be there as your big bat, otherwise, who is the face of SmackDown week to week? Are you going to just rely on the bloodline and the Uso still or are you going to have a big singles person Mm -hmm. like Bobby Lashley? I think I'm with you. I think I'm going to go Austin Theory retains because if I had to pick right now, I would say Bobby Lashley Roman at SummerSlam. Me too. Yeah. So it's. So it's weird that I'm picking Lashley to lose here. Well, no, but... because we're saying we want him clear of the title. You don't want him to win the title. Right. In, you don't want him to win the title in May and lose it in July. Right. No, I'm, I'm switching. I'm changing. We're going, we agree too often. Bobby Lashley's <laughs> winning the championship. He will lose it before SummerSlam and get into a thing with Roman. But I'm saying Bobby Lashley. I feel like I made the case for you to pick Bobby Lashley almost when we were doing this. There's yes. two options for Roman at SummerSlam. There's three options, I'm sorry, for Roman at SummerSlam. If it's fully staying on SmackDown and he's not dropping the title, then it's Bobby Lashley or AJ Styles. That's it. Those are your two options. In terms of what they've drafted to that brand as of right now, if they are going to change the title, then you have the Cody Rhodes possibility. And let's not forget, yes. Money in the Bank comes before SummerSlam. So Cody wins money in the bank. He says, hey, Roman, I'm cashing it in on you, baby. We're doing it at SummerSlam rematch. Wins the title. That is a very plausible, simple way to kind of explain everything. When you look at the draft, and I kind of went over this earlier in the show, the Raw singles division is way more loaded than the SmackDown singles division. So maybe they did that with the plan in mind for Cody to win money in the bank and switch brands. Personally, I'm of the opinion that Money in the Bank is going to go to someone who is an upper mid-carder and not someone surefire like Cody, like an L.A. Knight. We've talked about that. You know, someone L.A. Knight, Matt Riddle, like someone along those lines, I think, is more likely to win. Um, And I think they're going to try to cash it in on the world heavyweight champion, not Roman Reigns, given the history of what they're doing with Roman Reigns. So I do think there's like a I don't know. It may even be like a. 60% 60% chance that Bobby Lashley wins this match, but I'm still siding with Austin Theory. I just think it makes more sense for there to be a retention at this juncture in a quick match with no build, no feud. I mean, I know that they feuded for a while, but it stopped, and now they restarted it basically out of nowhere. So, Yeah, look, I mean, like, we'll talk about the Cody stuff later in this preview right. that ties into Money in the Bank and whatever, but, like, Roman Reigns, Bobby Lashley... I can't recall off the top of my head that match happening no, or at hasn't. least anytime soon. So like that's a fresh new matchup. It would make sense for Bobby to be that guy. I think but I think you give him the title now, he drops it in a couple months or whatever and then he's on to Roman. So Bobby Lashley wins. All right. Let's go ahead and you know what before we move on, I do have to do something for you. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight. Because Bobby Lashley and Bronson Reed folks in this match are going to bump meat, and Theory may just be there as a crash test dummy. We'll see what happens in that match. Uh, we'll go to another one that has a big meaty man, Seth Rollins, against Omos in a match that was largely announced out of nowhere on Raw. Omos fought Anthony Alanis. The jobber got a big shot on Omos. 
only to eat a turnbuckle, huge boot, and choke bomb in a squash loss. There is like a standard Omos cycle right now in WWE. Beat a couple jobbers, get a legitimate match, lose that match. Beat a couple jobbers, get a legitimate match, lose that match. Like it's the same thing over and over again. One might say, Chris, it's like missionary position. It's the same thing over and over and over. It's like missionary position every single night. (laughs) It's dumb. How is this supposed to make Omos look intimidating for Rollins? He can't beat Elias or Riddick Moss, Dexter Loomis, The Miz. Like there's people he can beat to help build him for Seth Rollins. This didn't help him. Uh, It didn't help build the match. I thought what we got last week from Rollins and MVP was solid. It was like, you know what? Good enough reason for the match. MVP, he's going out there. He's putting Omos in signature matches. Rollins is up for any challenge. He ran away from Omos previously uh, when he was a heel. Fine. Okay, it's fine. They did nothing to build it this week. Seth Rollins, they had him working with Paul Heyman and the bloodline. I was very frustrated at the lack of build for this and the U.S. championship. Seth talked more about Roman than he did about Omos. Right. And they've got a match coming up this week. So that kind of tells you how uh, unimportant this match is. Yeah, that was kind of surprising. Yeah. And then again, now we get into the prediction for the match. And it's like, you know, it's plausible for Omos to beat Seth Rollins. He doesn't have the size that Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar did his last two like legitimate opponents that beat him. But on the other hand, you have to believe Rollins is the number one contender to be the first WWE world heavyweight champion, at least this incarnation of it. And you can't have him going into that tournament off a loss to Omos. So I'm picking Rollins to win the match. I just think it's a shit spot for Omos, who then in kayfabe will, will have lost to Lashley, Lesnar, and Rollins in succession. What do you do with this guy now? If there was not a new title, I really, really wanted Omos to win this match. Like when they first announced it out of nowhere, you I was could like, buy it. Make any sense? Yeah. I was like, I was like, here's an opportunity for Omos to get a big win. Seth Rollins can lose, and he is fine. It will not impact him at all. Like, like you said, Omos only ever loses these matches. It was a great opportunity for him to beat Seth Rollins get a marquee win and try to turn it into something. But now we've got the the World Heavyweight title. Now we've got a tournament coming up that we probably think Seth Rollins is is one of the top favorites to win. So Seth is winning this match 100%. And it'll be up to him to make it uh, entertaining, which I think it could. Seth's a really talented guy. And and Omos works well with with guys who kind of move around him. But... uh, Once when we're when we're talking Saturday night on Omas losing this match and where does he go from here? It's going to be disappointing again. Yeah, most likely. That's true. Uh, Just to double back and answer the question you had earlier. Hey, you know, has Roman Reigns ever fought Bobby Lashley? They did fight in a triple threat with Big E back in 2021. I believe that was a situation where like I don't even actually remember why that match happened. I don't think Big E was champion was at title, the time. Was it a title match? I don't think no. Big E was the champion at the time. It wasn't a title match. It was in Raleigh, North Carolina on Raw. It was a 20-minute match. That did happen. It was a triple threat. The last time they fought one-on-one, though, was a universal title number one contendership match back in 2018. So they haven't seen each other in five years one-on-one. And I do think that is a huge match for SummerSlam if they book that as the main event. Just wanted to yes. double back also, and provide that. Yeah, also Biggie was the was the universe uh, Roman was the universal champion 
oh, it was it was it was Biggie who was a champion versus Roman who was a champion versus Lashley. Okay, that's what it was. That's they were both they were both champions. Lashley got involved. I think it was with Biggie. They Biggie and maybe Roman were like yelling at each other on uh, you know in a confrontation, and they all just threw them together in a match. Yeah. I think that's what it was. That's a good point. Okay, let's move to the Raw Women's Championship. Bianca Belair defending her title against Io Sky. This, despite both women now being on the SmackDown brand. On Raw, Io got a vignette showcasing her talent and her successes across both Raw and NXT. Combined with her singles match last week, it's easily the best that Io has been presented on the main roster. Belair later on Raw cut a promo about being surprised, you know, regarding the SmackDown move when damage control interrupted with Bailey talking shit. Belair put over Io as a supreme talent, saying she was really disappointed that Bailey and Dakota Kai had been dragging her down. Io answered back aggressively in Japanese, and Bianca stopped Dakota from trying to translate. She knew what she said, and she wanted to kick her ass. This was probably Bianca Belair's best promo in like six to eight months. I got to give her credit for it. She was solid. Overall, a really nice build for a short time frame for this match. Far better than what we've gotten with Rollins and Omos and the United States Championship. And honestly, far better than most Bianca Belair feuds recently. Like there's actually story here. And Io is a deserving number one contender. And it's exciting to see a fresh matchup. So I got to tell you, going into a seven match premium live event card, and there's other matches I'm excited about. I'm sneakily more excited for this than anything else. This was what I was waiting for them to do with EO Sky for like literally almost a year at this point, which is who is she? Why should we care? She has just she's been hidden in damage control because mm-hmm. she, she doesn't do many promos and Bailey kind of takes up a lot of the oxygen. And I was just like, why do we care about EO Sky? Well, like what is impressive about her? That vignette package they did was great. The backstage promo was great. Make sure it looked tough. They're not being catty. They're not being sarcastic or whatever. Right. Just, it legitimately feels like a fight. So that's good. The thing about this match that is weird, which, you know, as you talked about the draft earlier, we've got Bianca Belair versus EO Sky for the Raw Women's Championship, even though they're both going to SmackDown. <laughs> and you've got you've got Bianca Belair. Uh, you've got commentary calling her the SmackDown Women's Champion. No, she called herself. Raw champ- she called herself the SmackDown sorry, Women's what? Champion in a pre-taped promo uh, Friday on SmackDown after she got drafted to yeah. SmackDown. Right. Yes. Yeah. Commentary is still calling Rhea the SmackDown champ. So this is confusing. The women's champ thing. I I, I assume we're going to do a belt flip like we did with Charlotte and Becky. I don't know. But that was just that's weird on top of all of this. But uh, no, I am looking really looking forward to this match. In terms of a prediction here. I mean, look, I would love to tell you that EOS guy is going to walk out as the whatever women's champion. OK, I mean, Bianca Belair, her title reign, we've talked about it. It is dreadful. It has been dreadful. Not that she's not doing a good job in the ring from a wrestling standpoint, but the storylines have been bad. The builds for her matches and feuds have been bad. None of this is her fault. It's just the truth of what this reign has been. And so much time has been spent with the same group, Damage Control, and she's already beat them three on one or one on three, I guess, technically is what it would be. That now it's one-on-one, and you're like, well, how is she going to lose to EO one-on-one? It doesn't make sense. Bianca Belair is entering LOL Cena wins territory. It's it's happening. It's the way she's being booked. already. She needs to drop this strap as soon as possible. I do not think it's going to be here. I have a sneaking suspicion, and I hate to put it out there in the universe, folks. 
I have a feeling Charlotte Flair is going to come back before SummerSlam and Flair beats Belair at SummerSlam. Like, I just know it's going to happen. And I'm, I'm already dreading it, okay? But I don't think she loses the title to Io Sky, who's had a very short build as a single wrestler in the women's division coming out of being in a tag team with Dakota Kai. I think the match result we get here on Saturday f- helps further fuel the damage control breakup on now SmackDown. Maybe Bailey tries to help legitimately late in the match, actually costs EO. EO gets upset at her. And then we find out the following Friday that there's you know further angst in the group. So I have Bianca Belair retaining the title. I wish I could predict it the other way, but I can't. God, I hope so. Uh, Bianca's winning this match. Io, as much as I've loved this quick build for her, she's not at all been presented as someone to be the champion yet. And I'm just mostly being like, how is damage damage control still a thing? We called them, we did, we declared them dead after WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. And here they are still getting drafted as damage control, not getting split up there. So I, I, I don't know. I, I Maybe the split up, happens after this i don't know but bianca is winning this match i do think it'll be a really fun match but i see almost no chance that eo sky wins i will say i don't mind the fact that they're still together in this one month transition like transitional window because you don't necessarily go from losing wrestlemania match to no longer being together like they are actively yeah, but they've lost many a times before then i know but they're actively telling a story of them splitting up right now like there's been backstage segments, snide looks, um, you know, screw ups in the ring. Yeah. Like they're they're telling a breakup story. So if you're going to give me a story, then I'm fine waiting. You know, waiting that story out. I do agree. It's weird that they all got drafted together when they could have done the breakup beforehand and split them up or split them up within the draft. They didn't do that. I I don't mind it because look, when you look at the SmackDown Women's Division coming out of the draft, they need women's singles wrestlers. And if you break up this group, you get three of them, and they're all really strong Mm -hmm. and talented. So I'm fine with the way they did it. And I don't mind waiting for the breakup, but because that breakup is forthcoming, you need juice for it. You need those events to happen that can then facilitate change coming out of the back end. And I think a loss in a title match like this for EO, you know, let's not forget how this started, where Bailey was excited that she was getting an opportunity for a number one contendership and Dakota Kai and EO Sky forced her to relinquish that and put one of them in that spot. So EO got it. So Bailey's jealous. I mean, all this stuff is happening. Plus what yeah. we ha- what happened on Raw with Bailey and Dakota Kai winning the women's tag team match. So there's a lot of you know motivation here for Bailey to screw up a couple times, get EO mad at her, get Dakota mad at her, and for damage control to split up. Let's move to the SmackDown Women's Championship. Rhea Ripley defending against Zelina Vega on SmackDown. We had Vega against Sonya Deville in a singles match. Zelina won with a fold-over pinning combination after a couple minutes. It would have been nice to just see her hit a finisher and get a squeaky clean one, two, three. You know, Ripley attacked immediately after the bell. She even headbutted Deville because she was just pissed off. Fans chanted mommy. When she tried Riptide, though, Zelina immediately countered it into a DDT and came out on top. Then Santos Escobar and Rey Mysterio gave her a big time pep talk backstage, saying how proud they were of her representing herself and their culture. This was even more reason that they should have gone with a flat finisher because Mm -hmm. this whole segment was made to enhance Zelina and push her up and make her look like a legitimate contender. And by the way, that's smart. That's what we always ask them to do when they do these quick challenges kind of out of nowhere. But if you're going to go so far as to have her get over on Ripley in the ring, 
and win a match and get propped up by Hall of Famer Rey Mysterio and leader of her faction, Santos Escobar, then you might as well give her six minutes and a win via finisher in a match rather than a fold-over pinning combination in four minutes. Like, just take that little extra step and fully put her over rather than only doing it 75% of the way. That is the shit that pisses also, me off, Chris. Yeah. Also because you want her to hit her finisher on Rhea Ripley. And so you Rhea establish out, it. And we know, oh, that that's a big deal. I don't know what her finisher is. Just off the top of my head, I don't know what her finisher is. So, like, establish that. Rhea kicks out of it. it so when she, she hits it, you think she has a chance. Rhea kicks out. Basic stuff. Basic stuff. Yeah. You know what, man? I actually don't know her finisher either. I Maybe she doesn't have one. Of these. I mean, she we don't see her wrestle. We, we haven't seen her. I mean, she was out of no. WWE for a while. She's come back. And ever since she's come back, with the exception of the last couple of matches, she's largely just done a couple of Huracaranas and stuff. Like, I don't know what she's using as a finisher but, these days. Yeah. So... Yeah, yeah but, but I, I am excited. I am I am excited for her to get this opportunity. I, the pep talk was everything else was good. Just like let her hit a finisher to, to win the match clean. But I, I, I have enjoyed this build. Um, I think we're both obviously picking Rhea Ripley to retain here. But uh, this this was a fun way to set this up in Puerto Rico. Um, I'm curious how the, I'm curious. You know, like Rhea Ripley's getting cheered everywhere. Like she was getting the mommy chance. Not Saturday in Puerto Rico. Not right. In Puerto Rico, it's finally going to go the other way. And that's going to be really exciting. I think. Yeah, I'm I'm here for the moment of this match and the reactions that Zelina is going to get the exciting action. I think it's going to be good. Zelina is a good wrestler. She's not she may not be top Mm -hmm. tier in WWE, but she can go. Ripley, you know, cut a promo on Raw. I'm not going to get into it, but she said she's going to twist her into a pretzel and, and so on and so forth. Well, she is. Like Ripley is huge. Zelina is tiny. So that discrepancy in size is going to make this a really exciting match. And Ripley, by the way, let's not forget, is one of the best sellers in the women's division in WWE. So she's going to bump her ass off for Zelina in Puerto Rico. She's going to get awesome face pops. Zelina is. And then at the end, when Ripley wins, hopefully she gets big heel booze. And guess what? She is supposed to be a heel. So if she can carry that over into you know, raw going forward. I have to remember what brand she's on, even though it says SmackDown Women's Champion right in front of me. Um, if she can carry that over and kind of tamp down the mommy chance, I mean, it's great that she's cheered and people are liking her, but she is supposed to be a heel. Then that would be a huge positive coming out of it as well. But you're right. Um, this has been built well. You know, I, I do wish that Zelina had become number one contender in a more legitimate manner, or a triple threat match. Fatal four-way, gauntlet, something where she has to actually earn it rather than just literally asking for it because she's Puerto Rican, which is literally the storyline they told. But I did like their interactions in and around numerous matches in the weeks leading up to her doing that. And Zelina consistently getting the better of Rhea on the way to this. So I enjoyed it. And I do think it's going to be a really successful match. Yes. Also, just like the Bianca EO match, this is two people who are on going to be on raw fighting for the SmackDown women's title. So no, gonna uh, Zelina's going to be on SmackDown with LWO. Oh, whoops. I misread this. Sorry yeah. about that. Yes, you are right. LWO okay. remains on SmackDown. Yes. Uh, also, I, I guess we could mention it here because Sonya Deville was in that match um, with, with Zelina on SmackDown. Uh, yes. Good call. Carmella announced Carmella announced that she's pregnant uh, with, with Corey Graves. So that's why she's been out. Uh, for for a while, and she's obviously had some issues in the past re- regarding stuff like that. So uh, great news! Very happy for 
Carmela and Corey. And just wanted to acknowledge that because that was very cool. Yeah, absolutely fantastic news for Carmela. Like you said, um, they had some pregnancy issues previously that were not just, of course, sad, but also dangerous for her. Uh, so for her to come back, and I'm sure she was she was excited to be back despite the circumstances. She, of course, would have preferred to be pregnant and, and having a baby. Um, but I'm sure she was somewhat excited to come back and then to get pregnant again and immediately leave. If there was any circumstance where that's okay, it's pregnancy. And I say, okay, not in terms of like WWE corporately, but I mean her, you know, personally, like she didn't get hurt, you know, nothing's wrong. Um, yeah. It's good news. And so we wish them the best. And now it makes a lot more sense why she came and went so quickly. And you know what? Credit to WWE. We've said it before for making the quick change going to Sonya Deville, and it is still working. Not maybe as well as it would have with Carmella, but it's pretty damn close. And I'm glad they didn't go away from Chelsea and a tag team and make other changes, which in the past, you know what would happen. Chelsea would just get sidelined, and they'd wait for Carmella to come back, yep. then they'd lose interest, and it would be a whole mess. So that is another indication of how Triple H's creative team in WWE is quick twitch, makes those changes, and things can still be successful. All right, we got three more matches to break down here. Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, and Matt Riddle against the Bloodline in a six-man tag team match. First, on Raw, Riddle fought Jimmy Uso. Riddle backstage was excited to still be hanging with the champions. That led KO to ask Sami, like, can we just go to SmackDown and get away from this guy? After the bell, uh, the faces pulled the Eddie Guerrero with Owens and Zayn faking a chair shot from Jay, who got ejected. It was probably the worst execution of this ploy that I've ever seen. It was so slow developing. Jay looked like an absolute moron holding the chair, but if you actually like zoom in on his face, you'll notice he was about to break and start laughing. So I think one of the reasons he looked like he was a moron is because he was trying to hold back laughs from the entire thing and wasn't able to sell it the way he was supposed to. Also, this is like the third time that has been done in the last few weeks in WWE. It's getting repetitive despite the fact that I love it and it's a, Homage to Eddie, but I digress. Back to the match. Uh, Jimmy got knees up for a broton. Then he blindsided KO with a super kick. Jimmy removed a turnbuckle pad, but with the referee's back turned, KO slammed his head into it with Riddle hitting Floating Bro for the win. Enjoyed seeing the faces with the numbers advantage here for a change. It was also smart for Riddle to get a win. He actually got a win back while kind of continuing the story of the Usos being on a losing streak since WrestleMania with Reigns seemingly ready to return and give them shit about it. As mentioned earlier in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, obviously the Usos lost the WrestleMania tag team title rematch to Owens and Zayn. And on a note to wrap all of this up before we get Chris in, later backstage after this match, Heyman was pumping up Sokoa for his match, uh, even speaking to him in Samoan, which was pretty cool. When Jay walked in, he confronted both of them about why Solo wasn't out there to help Jimmy when they're always out there to help Solo. Again, I thought it was a strong continuation of the story as they continue biding their time for Roman's return. So Chris, any thoughts on what we got on Raw? You, of course, didn't get the opportunity to talk about the tag team title match that ended SmackDown on Friday or the backstage deal with Sokoa and Jay. Uh, not a ton of thoughts other than what I've said on here before, which is just like Sammy and KO as champions to me, just like it doesn't quite have the juice. Like they're the dog that caught the car. We had the great story. They won the champion, the championship, and now they're just kind of, there's, there's not as much of an edge to them anymore. And, and obviously this, this is not a title match 
on Backlash, they won the rematch on SmackDown, which is fair. I, I think they needed to do that. Losing it right back to the Usos would have been a mistake. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it was, it was, I don't know. I'm not quite clicking with that. Riddle with them is okay. Kevin Owens, I think, is, is really um, carrying that group. Riddle versus Jimmy was, it was fine. It was fun. Um, I, I liked that. I, I think it was Graves on commentary said, Riddle is used to singles matches while Jimmy is used to being in tag team matches. So that gives Riddle an advantage in mm-hmm. this environment. Little thing. I really like hearing that. Um, so, yeah, it was all right. You make a fine point about KO and Sammy as babyface champions, but that's also like a, hey, welcome to professional wrestling. Like in the history of wrestling, yeah. it, the yeah. baby faces are better when they're chasing and the heels are better when yeah. they're champions. It's, it's, it's almost a universal truth. Now, there are occasions in which a big babyface run as champion can still work extremely well. The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, um, you know. I'm trying to think of someone recently. I'm trying to think of someone recently where that's been the case. It hasn't really been the case recently. Largely, it has needed to be. Uh, Big E was a successful champion. I mean, he didn't have a good reign because he was booked like shit. But people really were still cheering for him and super excited for him to be champion when he had the title. But yeah, no, it's um, when you have a mountain that is especially steep and it was as steep as it's ever been for a a tag team title match probably right in Mm -hmm. WWE Mm -hmm. and KO and Sammy climb it and reach the summit. There's literally nowhere to go, but down. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing them slowly trickle down the mountain. And that's why their title reign does not need to be long. We've been saying that it doesn't have to be long. They just can't lose the titles to the Usos because it erases what they basically accomplished. And if they had lost it, especially on draft night, then they're doing it purely because of blood money in the sand and it's an eye roll and it's kind of insulting. So, you know, I don't expect them to have a super long title reign, nor do I think they need to have a super long title reign, nor do I believe they need to be a tag team for a long time. I just hope that they don't do the standard one of them turns on the other. It's a big breakup. One's a heel, one's a baby face. You have a nice run. You lose the titles. You fist bump. We're still friends. We're still partners, but now we're wrestling as singles. That's totally fine. Yeah, and and I guess we haven't really, from the draft, uh, they're still champions of both. They were drafted to Raw, I believe. So I did speak about this. I did speak about this a bit earlier, so let me just kind of uh, double back for you. Now, I don't have any concrete information for sure. Um, My guess is that they literally just say at this point, like after Backlash, hey, since you guys are on Raw, we need you to relinquish the SmackDown titles. And their faces, KO probably argues with them and says, hey, you know, you didn't make the Usos do that. So why do we have to do that? And Pierce is just like, whatever, we need you to do it. And KO's like, fine, whatever. Like, like it's it's within his gotcha. character to yeah. kind of accept that. Um, they could also merge them and introduce a new title. You know, the question about the women's titles remains open, right? Are they going to do a belt swap? Are they possibly going to finally rename those titles and make one the Universal Women's Championship and the other, the WWE Women's Championship. If they do that, then perhaps they do the same thing with the tag team titles. They make these WWE tag team titles and they introduce the Universal tag team titles for SmackDown. There's a million different things they can do. But Chris, in that title match Friday on SmackDown, I did think they had a creative out. You do a double pinfall. Then, you know, the Usos get drafted to SmackDown. They keep those titles. Uh, KO and Sammy get drafted to Raw. 
they keep those titles maybe earlier in the show. They could have done it. And it would have all made sense. It would have been a little kind of, you know, forced, but it would have made sense. They chose not to do any of that on the show. Everyone got drafted Monday and the titles were retained. So we're kind of left where we started. And we're at a spot where KO and Sammy may never interact with the bloodline once they lose the titles. At least going not for a while, right? On SmackDown. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm curious how that'll end. We'll see. And it kind of t- ties into this match. It too does. Here. It does. So let's make our predictions for the match. You know, the lead up to this match has been over and over again. The baby faces getting over on the heels. Uh, the Usos looking pathetic. Paul Heyman threatening them to the point that they even did a DQ in a match we're going to talk about a little bit later for Solo Sokoa. And you think, okay, well, going into this show, it's probably going to be a lot of big baby face moments for Puerto Rico, right? I don't think Owens, Zayn, and Riddle need to win this match. And based on the last two results, the tag team win and the Riddle singles win, I don't think they're going to win this match. I think this is an opportunity for the bloodline to get a W in an appropriate, I would say, situation especially when they're all together. And then going into the following SmackDown, they can kind of say to Roman Reigns, hey, Tribal Chief, yeah, we had some bumps in the road, but we came together. We won when we needed to. We're past the KO Sammy and Riddle problem. All of those guys are on Raw, KO Sammy and Riddle. You're right. The new rosters are going to start May 8th. I think you have the bloodline come out on top, get the W, and kind of move forward with what they're doing. I agree. The bloodline are winning this match quite confident based on how everything has played out over the last few weeks. And but but it is set up like where I just said, where if this is going to be the end of KO, Sammy and bloodline, they didn't really accomplish the goal of breaking up the bloodline, which is what they thought. Now mm-hmm. it'll 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 will be back to and plus Cody's not there. So like we'll be back to internal bloodline type stuff. It'll be curious to see where that group goes if they move if they are fully away from Cody, Sammy and KO moving forward. Uh, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Like that could be a really interesting new direction mm-hmm. for that. Where ultimately KO and Sammy did win the tiles at WrestleMania, but they, they ended the useless reign, but Roman's still the champ, the bloodline's still together and, and onward we go. And that story keeps going. So it'll be interesting, uh, but I am picking the bloodline here as well. Yeah. I think the teases of reigns being angry at them and them being separated in the draft and, excommunicated from the bloodline. That was all fine as a way to kind of keep interest at some level with Roman taking, you know, six weeks off coming out of WrestleMania. So that was all well and good, but you're not going to, I don't think you're going to bring Roman back and then immediately break them up. And if you're not going to do that, then you need a moment where they can kind of come back together and Backlash provides that moment. Before we get into the co-main event of Backlash, I did have a DM that came in from Atish Tawari at Atish. 911. He said, Hey, Adam, got a very simple question for you. How come USA lets NXT overrun almost 10 to 15 minutes, whereas they cut off Raw right at three hours sharp, where Corey couldn't even finish his sentence? So, really easy explanation for this. And you're going to, you may hit yourself in the head when I kind of say it to you. Uh, NXT is a planned overrun, and Raw is not. And it's really as simple as that. When a network knows that a show is going to go in an overrun, it pre-plans what the next half hour or hour succeeding that show looks like. They take away, you know, one or two uh, commercial breaks, or if it's a movie, they may cut out a scene so that it fits within a shorter window because it doesn't get the full hour or two hour block. It gets a shorter block. So NXT is planned for an overrun every week. It always goes like seven, eight minutes. 
once that is planned in, then making additional kind of moves, like just deleting a singular commercial break is easy enough to go two or three extra minutes if they need, like they did last week. Whereas with Raw, the next hour is already planned. Also, USA Network uses Raw as a lead-in to whatever they're putting in that 11 p.m. hour. A lot of times, like, it would be Miz and Mrs. or um, Chris Lee. These are shows that people actually watch, even if, you know, for Chris Lee, we don't, right? So, whereas with NXT, it's not really the same on Tuesday nights. It it doesn't have millions of people, um, and they're not looking for as direct of a lead-in. So they don't care if it goes over a little bit. It's negotiated. It's planned. That's the difference between NXT on Tuesday and Raw on Monday. And by the way, you see the same thing with AEW on Wednesday night. Um, Wednesday, I think it was this past week, actually. It overran. My DVR cut off. I didn't get to see the end of it because they have a hard out because they're using it as a lead-in, I think, to whatever the next show was. It was all access or a basketball game or something like that. Now, SmackDown on Friday is different from all of these. Number one, it's network. Number two, SmackDown actually ends at like 9.57 because they need to do commercial breaks before they get to the local news on Fox, which starts at 10 o'clock. So SmackDown always ends on time or sometimes a little bit early, never late. So that's the four shows. That's the explanation. Chris, did I miss anything? Nope, you hit it all there. There you go. All right, two more matches to discuss. Let's get to Bad Bunny against Damian Priest in a San Juan street fight on Raw uh, in the same Judgment Day segment where Ripley cut her promo that I mentioned earlier. Finn Balor talked about Priest ripping Bunny to shreds. Priest then went off in Spanish for a good two minutes. And I got to be honest, all I caught were the vocabulary words. I am rusty as hell. But obviously, it was trash talk. Dominic Mysterio grabbed the mic and immediately got serenaded with crazy booze and you suck chance. <laughs> they were so loud and consistent. He could barely speak. It was freaking nuclear heat. What he said didn't even matter. It was like a flat out incredible moment for him and for Judgment Day. Sold out Fort Worth Arena. Credit to the fans for giving him that reaction. Ray came out. He shot back that he'd beat Dom with La Chancla instead of a belt next time. And he got another massive pop there. And it was in this moment I learned that Chancla and Chancleta are two completely different things. One's a slipper. The other is a flip-flop. I thought it was always Chancleta, but we learn something new every day. Anyway, then Ray promised the LWO would prevail Monday and at Backlash. So we got LWO against Judgment Day in a six-person mixed tag team match. Balor was the only one not involved. Ray went on a run, taking up Priest with the seated senton outside and Dom back inside. Ripley went to press slam Ray outside only to get stopped by Zelina. Ballard distracted so Dom could trip his dad. Santos Escobar took out Dom with a tope suicida, only to get drop kicked outside by Ripley. She then ate a meteora from Zelina. Ray countered Razor's Edge with an arm drag, but Ballard sacrificed himself on the 619. And then Priest choke slammed Ray off the apron into the ring with easily his best South of Heaven ever and a huge victory for Priest. Ray and Santos, they've been losing a lot recently, but building for a singles match with Priest. Maybe the biggest match of his entire career. It made all the sense in the world for him to beat Ray in this spot. I just wish commentary sold it more. He beat a world champion, a Hall of Famer. He's like, oh, he just, he won. No, he beat Ray Mysterio. That should matter. This match was a blast. Uh, we got the right finish ahead of a huge show. I loved, of course, everything that happened with Dom. I loved the wrestling. I loved the finish. This was a perfect segment start to finish. There, there's a lot here. First off, the Dominic booze that he got WWE on the YouTube page put up a two minute video which they 
called uh, isolated audio, which I believe just means they cut out commentary. It's just Dom talking with the booze oh, coming cool. in. And cool. like, if you just want to go relive that, it's just ridiculous. And it, it kind of makes me be like, they split Dom and Ray up in the draft. And I'm like, I don't know if they should. I feel like they need to go back to this and stick with it because of the heat that Dom is getting. Like just heat we have really not seen in WWE in a long time for Dominic Mysterio. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's very wild. much a thing. Yeah. And he's like flubbing lines, but it's almost adding to it because he's getting distracted by the crowd. Uh, just it's, it's really, really awesome stuff. Uh, as for the match, yes, the right person won. You would have left a, liked a little more emphasis on that. But there was one thing in this match that jumped out to me from commentary that I didn't know. And maybe they've said it before, but I don't remember this coming across in a priest promo or Bad Bunny or whatever. But that is Kevin Patrick says Bad Bunny and Damian Priest, like their families like go way back. They're from the same small town in Puerto Rico and they have friends and family friends who have like known each other for a really, really long time. And I was like, wait a minute, where was that story? Like, that's the story I want to hear going into this match of priest versus bad bunny. Like these guys have a history together. That's more than just, they teamed up at WrestleMania a couple years ago. That surprised me a lot. Again, unless I missed it somewhere else, but I was like, man, that was a huge opportunity for Damian priest to cut a promo explaining all of that at some point. So that was, um, I don't know. I feel like that was a missed opportunity, but but I am really excited for this. And that added to it. I just kind of wish we had been told that more than Kevin Patrick talking about it during a match. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not true, but. It I feel like they would have mentioned it <laughs> like when they were teaming, right. it, you know, like like it doesn't seem to be true. And I don't know if that's because he was fed it or he just made it up on the spot. I don't want to say it's a even lie. It's, I don't want to say it's a lie and even, have it be true. I just, there's no, I have no recollection of them ever saying that previously. Even if it's completely false, I'm fine with that being the story. Oh, sure. Just make it up sure. and tell me that. Like, yeah, like I was just so surprised that that's how that information real or not came across. Cause I was like, holy crap. Like, that's a great story. Why didn't you tell me that story? Yeah. And it was interesting also to see Dom wrestle because, you know, he had been out with a concussion, which I think is why they changed this to a one-on-one -on -one match, yeah. you know, removing the Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio dynamic from this. I mean, I'm not saying it brings the match down because trust me, Bad Bunny fans are plenty excited that he's going to get a singles match, a San Juan street fight in Puerto Rico. They don't, I'm not saying they don't care about Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio. They do. But the fact that he's in a singles match is honestly kind of wild. Let's just be honest about that. Yes. But Rey and yeah. Dom clearly now are both healthy. And there's something in me that kind of wonders you know, do they change it or maybe just because it's a street fight, everyone gets involved. It's all judgment day. It's all that, LWO. And yeah, and that's, that's probably, yeah, that's probably what's going to happen. Um, and because it's a street fight that gives a huge excuse for priest to potentially lose and for all the interference. And because LWO has lost and lost and lost every single freaking week coming into this, you know, I'm not a proponent for celebrity over full-time wrestler, especially when Priest, like I said, is on one of his best career runs right now. They're really putting him over, and I appreciate that. They're also doing it because he's in this match. But if you're going to have a celebrity win a match, Bad Bunny in Puerto Rico, that's the move that you pull. So I have Bad Bunny beating Damian mm -hmm. Priest. 
I also have Bad Bunny beating Damian Priest. If if you thought Damian Priest was a guy who could be put into a world title picture relatively soon, um, I'd go the other way. Right. You could get massive heat on him, do all really use that to jettison him forward, but I don't think that's happening at this point. So yes, Bad Bunny's gonna win. I think there's gonna be a lot of interference. I think the environment for this match is gonna be insane. Yeah. I think about Drew McIntyre's match in Wales at Clash of the Castle. I think about Sami Zayn in Montreal. And I feel like Bad Bunny in San Juan is going to be sort of on that level. So I'm really, really excited for the atmosphere around this match, which is what I look forward to almost more than anything when it comes to big matches. So this is going to be fun. I mean, this is easily the biggest Puerto Rican match in WWE history. Like, I'm I'm sure when WWE has been there in the past, the Colognes have been involved against other Puerto Ricans at some point, maybe. But these are two local products. The one of the biggest stars in the world in Bad Bunny and a top tier WWE superstar, not a main eventer necessarily, but a top tier guy who's totally believable in Damian Priest fighting one-on-one in the territory outside of the continental United States. I mean, this is wild. It's awesome. So I'm very excited for everyone who's going to be at these shows. And certainly if you're getting overhead and you're listening from Puerto Rico, we'd love to hear about your experience at Backlash and SmackDown the Friday night before. Let's, Chris, move to the main event. At least I expect it to be the final match of Backlash. Cody Rhodes against Brock Lesnar. On Raw, when Cody arrived in the loading dock, Adam Pierce told him Brock was in attendance, but Pierce hoped everything didn't get chaotic. He later said the same to Lesnar, who similarly just kind of dismissed him. So Lesnar interrupted round three of the draft. He circled the ring, saying he's the only real cowboy in the state. Pierce tried to get him to leave. He brought down 20 security guards when Rhodes' entrance hit. And instead of making his full entrance, he actually attacked Brock from behind. He hit him one time and actually cut open Brock's nose with that one punch. Cody tried to fight through security, but they caught him up in the ropes while Brock just slowly backed away from the other half of the security guards that kind of formed the wall there. Uh, Later backstage, Cody admitted Brock is in his head. He clarified that Lesnar may get what he wants in ways like the free agency that we talked about earlier, Uh, but Brock is human and Cody has to beat him at backlash. Otherwise, the whole finishing the story mantra gimmick ceases to exist and he moves to the back of the line for a world title. And you know, Chris, like, this was all fine. There's juice to the feud because it's Cody and Brock. They're main eventers. The initial attack was so brutal and surprising that Rhodes clearly wants and deserves revenge in kayfabe. And Cody has motivation to not go on a losing streak for all the reasons that he just mentioned that we talked about. Yes. But other than that, there's nothing else to this feud. We have now gone five weeks with literally zero explanation for Lesnar's attack and heel turn other than offhanded comments from commentary, it's like, maybe he's mad about his WrestleMania match placement. Like, please, it's actually absurd when you consider a main event match of this caliber has no legitimate storyline. And so because of that, as much as I'm sure the match will deliver, I gotta be honest, I'm going into backlash. I don't particularly care for it or about it. Well, I I, I don't, I'm interested in it. Cody versus Brock is just a fun, new, interesting matchup. But it's like, oh my God, I can't wait to see these two get in the ring because of what's happened. No, it's 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 not there. And Cody is still extremely over, obviously. He's still a top guy, obviously. 
But man, has the last month really taken a lot of shine off of what he was going into WrestleMania. And that's because he's been paired with someone who's rarely on the show in a story that doesn't really make sense. And he hasn't really gotten over on Brock very much in this. He, why does security keep holding him back? Well, like literally why? Well, so this, like before last time, hands on Brock. last time it was because he either wasn't cleared or was barely just cleared. Yes. He wasn't cleared. Yes. No, he wasn't cleared two times ago. Yes. This time Correct. it's to preserve the match for the pay-per-view, which is a historical thing that always happens in wrestling. So there's reasons why they're holding him back, but it's also kind of like unfair that they're holding him back, basically. Yeah, yeah. And it, it feels like it's an attempt to drop, oh my God, I can't wait to see Cody get his hands on Brock. Well, that I is, get. that's the reason. That's but, 100% the reason. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It's just like, I don't know, Cody just, Cody's getting held back by security. Brock destroys security. It doesn't, like, I don't, like, I, I don't know, it just doesn't make him look as menacing mm-hmm. uh cody if he's if he's this furious haven't beat up a ton i know he's fought security but like just go berserk or, or something like that trying to get to brock we he, he didn't quite reach that level so yeah like i come into this match excited to see them fight but not particularly caring about why and that's a real failure of the last month we we didn't like it when it happened the day after wrestlemania which is a terrible show and it never really got any better I will say Brock getting punched and bleeding a little bit and the camera catching that was a nice little visual. You throw that in the in the video package for sure. But uh, it's all they know, needed. It doesn't have the, as much juice as I hoped it would. All they needed. So he had the mic finally, right? And I, I was like kind of hopeful when he picked up the mic. I was like, you know what? Maybe we're going to get it now. It's late. You know, it's four weeks later than we should have gotten it. But at least Brock will give us an explanation. And he says one line about I'm a real cowboy. And, then, and that's all that we get. And all he needed to say was something very simple along the lines of you proved at WrestleMania, you don't deserve opportunities like this. You're not at our level himself and reigns, even putting him in reigns level and, and propping up reigns that way. Right. That's all he had to say. Mm-hmm. And you say, oh, yep. OK, makes sense. Brock was pissed that Cody had the chance and he failed that miserably. And, you know, Lesnar's beaten him before and Cody can't. And Lesnar wanted to show him what it is to, you know, be at this level in WWE. Easy freaking storyline. Didn't tell it. Yep. Didn't make up anything else that they could have come up with in five weeks to give this any reason to matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, other than the fact of what happens to Cody, does he lose? Does he win? And what does that mean going forward? I got to tell you, I have a bad feeling about this match. Not that it's not going to be entertaining. I think it's going to be very entertaining and it's going to be a worthy main event in terms of the star power and the crowd reaction and all that stuff. But Chris, I have a feeling that we're going to get a flat DQ finish. Like Lesnar Mm. is about to get beat. He low blows Cody. They rematch it at night of champions. It keeps Cody out of the world Mm. heavyweight championship tournament. Uh, It keeps Brock Lesnar out of the world heavyweight championship tournament. It gives a big marquee match for that show. You know they're going to want Brock on that card. What else is he going to do if it's not fight Cody again? And it kind of screws over the Puerto Rican fans. But let's be honest. This is a stadium show, yes. And there are some notable matches on it. But this is very much a B-level pay-per-view card. The top three men's titles are not being defended. This match has basically no build to it that we've already talked about. And your co-main event is a celebrity against Damian Priest. I am not degrading the card. I am still excited for the show. We're going to give our pre-show expectation grades in a little bit, but this is the exact type of match 
in the exact type of spot with the exact type of show coming up, Blood Money in the Sand, Night of Champions, where it makes all the sense in the world to either not have a clean finish where Brock cheats and beats him and then Cody gets retribution, or we get a straight DQ Lesnar Undertaker style with a low blow and we move on from there. That all makes a lot of sense. And that now worries me because when this, the, when this happened the night after WrestleMania, we said, why did this happen? Brock's not fighting till Saudi Arabia anyway. Like, what is Cody going to do? And then when they said this matches for backlash, I was like, well, that's kind of surprising. But you're right to, to run it back again. At. At, at, at night of champions would make sense and that, but this kind of comes back to the world heavyweight championship part of it, which was it, it felt like Seth Rollins, I think is going to win this, but, but we were all, con- we are all concerned that Cody Rhodes will, it makes no sense for Cody to win this title when this isn't the title that, you know, he wanted to get all this time. It nerfs the storyline he had with Roman in the chase. He's still doing there. And so I, 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 I thought, Cody versus Seth is the championship match for that. And Seth Rollins wins because you made the point earlier in the show here that SummerSlam is not that far away. No. And the whole point of Cody losing, essentially, I believe, was he hadn't been, he hadn't had to overcome enough in kayfabe. Mm-hmm. He had to be beat down and build back up. And what happened? John Cena loses to The Rock. Mm-hmm. And they spend the next year building him back up to fight The Rock again. He fights Brock Lesnar at the very next pay-per-view. Suplex City. Now he beat Brock Lesnar. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, this is back in 2012 or 2013. Oh, okay. um, When Brock made his return after WrestleMania gotcha. in Miami. Gotcha. And, but, but Cena won that match. Even though they tried to later on tell the story that Cena's getting beat up by Brock Lesnar as part of his year-long back. Cody losing this match tells me that he's winning at WrestleMania 40 because they're going to spend the year him getting beat down. He'll lose to Brock. He'll lose to Seth. He'll do all these things. And then eventually he'll start to turn the corner and come back. I, I, I think that's just a long-term pick. I don't like it because I'm going to SummerSlam this year and I wanted to see Cody beat Roman Reigns at SummerSlam this year. But based on what we've talked about here, that's probably not going to happen. So, so just to uh, clarify, you it, think Cody's going to lose to Brock yeah. here or at Night of Champions? It, I think your DQ finish call is extremely on point and might be my pick, but I don't want us both to pick a DQ finish. So if I'm picking somebody to win this match, okay. I'm picking Brock. And I, th- and I think it's certainly possible if Brock wins, we just get a squash match. We do a suplex city type of match. Oh, we man. Run I run that whole thing back. And I'm going to hate that if that happens. But uh, so both of us are giving options here that I don't think either one of us are going to like. Yeah. On top of a build we didn't like. So, yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and wrap this up with our pre-show expectation grades for WWE Backlash. Again, a reminder, you all will be able to vote in our pre-show poll on Twitter at Getting Overcast about one hour before WWE Backlash. We'll go over that on our Instant Analysis podcast as soon as Backlash goes off the air, and we'll have a poll so you can vote in the post-show grade scenario and tell us what you thought of the show once it concludes. Again, we will go over that on the Instant Analysis podcast. Chris, when we do grades, I always let you go first. 
What is your pre-show grade for WWE Backlash? You know, we both had, I think, A pluses or A's going into WrestleMania. Not A pluses. Neither of us had A plus expectation grades. No. Okay, it was an A, like among the highest we've ever had. And now the flip side here is among, probably among the lowest we've had in the Triple H era. I'm right on the border between B and B plus here. And as I look, there aren't really any stories in this that I'm I'm into. The only match on this card I think that's going to give us a moment is Bad Bunny and Damian Priest. Mm-hmm. That is the thing I probably am looking most looking forward to. It's possible Cody and Brock over delivers. It's possible Seth and Omas is a lot better than we thought. It's possible the six man is a lot better than we think. But I'm going to go with a B, both because of the card and the matchups and also because not a great build. I'm going to go B. This is the exact trap that you got yourself into during the pandemic, where we got a B show card for a premium live event. Yeah. And we looked at it and we said, you know what? There's really nothing exciting here. And then what happened? We'd watch the show and it would be a B plus A minus A show. Just because the matches aren't good on paper going in does not mean the show is not going to be super exciting and entertaining. I think, number one, you're discounting the fact that this is a stadium show in Puerto Rico. And- Two matches involve Puerto Ricans, and they are going to be nuts for both of them. Zelina and Rhea Ripley, I do believe, is going to tear the house down. I don't think it's going to be the best women's match on the show, but I think from a entertainment, enjoyment, response standpoint, it's going to be great for the crowd. Bianca Belair and Io Sky, I'm saying it right now, it's going to be a banger, and I hope they live up to that expectation. Going into the show, Rollins and Omas, a bit of a spectacle. Rollins promised he would get the best match of Omas's career out of him. I actually believe that's probably going to be the case, right? The six man, we mm-hmm. know those guys are going to bang. It's going to be a, hey now, it's going to be a really great, uh, interesting um, match just from a work rate standpoint. And then the main event, that's the only thing really on this card where I look at it and say, it can be amazing, but I think it's going to be a downer. So, I'm going in with a B-plus expectation grade. I think it's going to be a better show than the card on paper, and I think you're going to be right along with me by the time we do the instant analysis for all of the reasons why we did this. We had this exact same conversation a half dozen times. I think it was more at the tail end of the pandemic than anything else, but we said this over and over again. Man, this is not a great card, but the show ends up being pretty damn great and entertaining. I think the same thing is going to happen here. You might be right. I mean, my favorite show of 2022 was Clash at the Castle, in large part because of the environment, because of Drew versus Roman and everything that was around that. We don't have a match on that level, no. and that's ultimately. Oh, why dude, I'm that also right had Gunther there. and Sheamus, and we don't have we don't have I, Gunther, one match Gunther at the level Sheamus, of either yeah. of those. Yeah, not even close. But, but like that environment, like that environment was was a huge part of it. And you're right that this will probably be a great environment. Maybe it's because I'm on the road. Maybe it's because I haven't watched all the shows live mm-hmm. over the last uh, couple of weeks. But um, no, I, like it, it's not a show I think that's going to get into a territory. I think no. it's a show that can get into a minus territory. Agreed. So the, the, there's room. I do. I do think the matches can be great. I just always think when I go into a show like. What are going to be the things we talk about coming out of it? What are going to be the moments when we look back on the show a year from now? Are there going to be those things? And I think Bad Bunny versus Damian Priest absolutely is going to be one of them. Yeah, I think the ceiling is A minus, like you just said. And I'd be shocked if this is below a B as a show. Like, that's probably my floor. So we have a three-grade like grade 
kind of wiggle room area. I'm going right in the middle. You're going towards the lower end. We will find out Saturday which one of our expectations is more in line with reality. Chris, on the way out here, you know what? Let's do it. The last word. So DJ, take the needle and just drop it on the record. What? We gon' have this poppin' in a second. That's why we always say the best cut last to make you scratch and niche for it like fresh cut grass. I'll tell you, uh, we didn't have any last word questions. I put a line out to our uh, Twitter followers at Getting Overcast. You guys delivered. I got like eight different questions. We're going to do two today and we'll save the rest for future shows. Jonathan P at Johnny for Alive 7. Do you think it's a mistake having the new men's champion crowned on the same event where Roman will be main eventing? Does that immediately undermine it? So what I think the mistake is, is crowning the new champion in Saudi Arabia. That's really the biggest mistake. Having it be on the same show where Reigns is going to main event and what you left out, Johnny, is reach 1,000 days. It's going to be the exact same night, the exact same show. I don't think it undermines the new champion. I do think it will overshadow the new champion, perhaps, especially if we're getting the huge celebration that I'm told we're going to get for Reigns to end that show against whoever he defends the title. Um, after, I'm sorry, against whoever he defends the title. So I don't think it undermines the new championship, but I do think there's a great chance it overshadows it. And personally, I would have loved to see the world heavyweight champion crowned either in the United States or perhaps at Money in the Bank in England. As I think about it now, who Roman could win against to be like, it's they're gonna it's gonna have to be a big match to be number 1,000. The 1,000 day, that's gonna be the one everybody points to for a lot of that stuff. It's not gonna be some mid-tier type of guy. It could be Lashley there. Maybe Lashley does lose. AJ here. Styles, he, Lashley, he, yeah. It's basically those two. Uh, it's basically those two. So as, as for the World Heavyweight Championship, I think the weirdest part of that championship is that the people we think are going to win it or be in contention for it, the top people on Raw are Cody and Seth, who keep talking about Roman. And so, like, that's going to undermine the title as much as anything else. So Not undermine, but overshadow the you title may have as much missed as it. anything else. You may have missed it. Let me just give you a little what? piece of information. Uh, it's going to be, believe it or not, Raw and SmackDown competitors challenging for the title. It's going to be, I think, they didn't say this specifically, but it seems like it's going to be a split bracket with like qualifying matches on both shows and then the finals at Night of Champions. Okay, but but either way, I think we think Seth or Cody is most likely to win it or at least be. I think Seth, is, I think and, Seth or Finn Balor for me is most likely to win, but yeah. Yeah, it, it very much feels like Seth's going to win. And but, but we've also got Seth again on Raw talking mm -hmm. about Roman. Cody's whole thing, finish the story with Roman. And so I feel like if Seth wins the championship and Roman wins the championship after, I'm just going to be thinking, like, when are Seth and Roman going to fight? Mm -hmm. And it's not going to happen, like, for a while. I think I think what I think figuring out what the identity of the World Heavyweight Championship is, is the biggest issue. It being crowned on the same day Roman reaches 1,000 days with two title belts that he's going to hold also adds to that. It, it's going to further create a hole that they kind of have to dig out of to make that World Heavyweight Championship feel like something. And that's only going to be accomplished through time. It's not going to be one single match, one single show, whatever. It's going to take time to establish that belt as meaning something. And it's going to start behind the line with what happens at Night of Champions in Roman. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, Jordan Blaney, here's the second question for the last word, at jblaney21. He said, which of the recently drafted NFL quarterbacks will have the best NFL career? I have my answer. 
Uh, I want to see if you want to go first here. Uh, uh, so we're talking this year's draft, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, Hendon Hooker type. Uh, I'm, I, I'm going with, with, with Bryce Young because I just feel like he is an absolute gamer, a guy who's been through the battles, been in the tough situations, made the biggest plays at the biggest times mm -hmm. against the SEC competition and against all that kind of stuff. To me, he was a no brainer. Number one, no guarantee that anybody's going to succeed. But I think when you look at what he has accomplished in the the environment he's accomplished it, uh, to me, to me, uh, Bryce Young is, is is the guy. Yeah, I think he has all the tools, and you know, quarterbacks his size don't get drafted number one overall. They just don't historically, uh, yeah. especially when there's a C.J. Stroud and for some even an Anthony Richardson right up there. And you know, if you believe the Colts and owner Jim Irsay, uh, he said he would have taken A.R. at one. I don't necessarily believe that, uh, but. Good for him if they actually would have, right? I'm a Florida Gator, a uh, huge fan of Anthony Richardson as a person. I think he has immense talent. I truly do. But you can't be someone like me who has watched every single game that guy has played twice, which I have, and seen every single throw that guy has made twice, and then go into it and say, I'm confident he's going to have the best NFL career out of all these guys. I can't do it. So my answer is just like yours, Bryce Young, but... I do think Anthony Richardson has a higher ceiling. He could be a legitimate all-time NFL quarterback if he can put it all together. The problem is that if is a lot larger for Richardson than it is for Bryce Young. So same answer. Extremely. In, in CJ, in, yeah. And for CJ Stroud, I'd say I think it's a good thing he got drafted into a team that plays in a dome. Yes. And will play a lot of games in the South that will help him. But the Texans are a complete mess. I don't trust them as much. I mean, even Anthony Richardson, Shane Steichen as the coach, you've got people who know how to work with quarterbacks behind him. Bryce Young with Frank Reich in Carolina. You've got people that know how to work around a quarterback. I think those two guys are in good situations that can get the most out of them. Well, I don't know if CJ Stroud necessarily is. What I liked most about what the Texans did, and I like Stroud. I think he has a decent chance to be a very successful quarterback. But I love that they went up and got Will Anderson. Two reasons. One, they got the captain of the offense and defense in the same draft, a couple picks apart. Very smart. But number two, if Will Anderson is amazing, which I think you probably agree with me that he's going to be, he's almost like a no doubter to be a major like yeah. pro bowl, all pro type of player in the NFL. It's kind of easier. It gets easier to allow Stroud to potentially be a bust if that was to happen because they came out of the draft with another top tier player. So you can kind of like get over it. Whereas if it was just Stroud and no one else and they picked wherever they were going to pick 20 or wherever the hell that was previously, then you're kind of looking at it like, yeah, they really botched this draft. So they they gave themselves some protection. Uh, D'Amico Ryans did in the GM in the front office there. Um, but I, th I think they made a really smart decision going after those two guys. I, I think all three, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, went exactly where they should have gone. Yeah, you know, it all made sense. I would, I, I don't know if I draft Anthony Richardson first round, honestly, but in terms of what we expected, you wouldn't draft him first round at all. Draft, the, those quarterbacks ended up where we were going to be. I, I, I don't know. It's such a big if quarter, look, quarterbacks are, are different, so I get it, but like, I spent a lot of time with Trent Dilfer a couple of weeks ago, and he was just kind of explaining like inexperienced quarterbacks. Oh, yeah, totally work out. Totally. And, and so 
We'll see. No, no. We'll see. I, I think that's a great point. I, I don't think that means not to draft him in the first round. Like I, my value of him, if I was like an NFL GM would have been in the teens because there's so much upside sure. that you cannot like ignore it. And if you need a quarterback or if you have a quarterback who's has one or two years left on their contract, you're not sure about, then you take him in the teens and you develop him and you see if you find a diamond in the rough. Right. Um, but yes, I do agree that number four overall for AR. <laughs> I mean, I love the guy again, but it seems like a little bit of a reach um, or not necessarily a reach, but it just seems like a lot of value to put a lot of money, a lot of pick capital to put behind a guy who has a lot of questions coming into his NFL career. All right. That's the longest we've ever talked about football on this podcast. But Chris, I appreciate you joining me for this uh, WWE draft recap. And fa- in fact, you know what? Before we get out, I was going to wrap things up. Um, you didn't get a chance to talk about the WWE draft. I did. Uh, do you have any quick thoughts on the way out about the draft itself before I fully wrap up the show? Only a couple spare thoughts on the draft. One, the order kind of made no sense, but that is always the case. Like we, you compare what we did in our draft last week, drafting people based on value versus what they do, which is trying to mix it all up. It just, it kind of didn't really make sense. Number two, they, the whole thing building up to the draft was anybody can go anywhere. Tag teams could get split up. And then none of that happened. You can you could draft five people in the LWO to one side. That was kind of a lot. But um, you can't draft I all of the bloodline together or all of Judgment Day together? No. Like it's, yeah. In Roman and Solo together made no sense as a team. Like I just, the rules were very unclear, but this is what happens when you do kayfabe drafts like that. Uh, and then the other part was um fake crowd noise especially on smackdown for the draft was kind of out of control uh that seems to be really be making a return uh compared to probably the last six months year plus we didn't really have it as much fake crowd noise seems to be back and it really stuck out stuck out during the draft you mean you mean for the picks themselves correct yes yeah i heard that as well I actually didn't hate it because the crowds are not naturally going to cheer for a draft pick. It's like the least exciting thing you can do on a wrestling show. So you're right that they did do it and they did it on Raw also. But like if there's any instance where they're going to use fake crowd noise, I was okay with it for draft picks. No, that's fine. It's just it was odd like when Triple H was talking and it just it didn't tie it didn't sync up right. They're not they're not very good at they're not like, good at it. <laughs> timing the fake crowd noise. It's true. It sounds really bizarre. No, you absolutely nailed it. Okay, so with that, Chris, thank you for joining the show. I appreciate you taking the time, and I appreciate everyone here listening to our recap of the WWE draft. My long one earlier, Chris's short one here, and of course, the ultimate preview of WWE Backlash. We will be back on Wednesday as the Silver King sits down one-on-one with, I guess, one of the two leaders of the LWO and definitely the leader of Legato Del Fantasma. Santos Escobar joins the show for the second time. Excited for you to hear that interview on Wednesday. We'll then be back on Thursday with your next AEW and NXT episode, and we wrap up a four-show week with WWE Backlash instant analysis on Saturday as soon as that show goes off the air. Do not miss it. And if you're a first-time listener, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis highlights, and so much more. Of course, you're going to want to follow us there to vote in the pre- and post-show polls for WWE Backlash. And on the way out, let me give you one more reminder that this show is all about 
Goodbye. So drop those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And don't forget to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we will read that review right here on the show. I appreciate all of you listening. I appreciate Chris taking the time out to join us for the ultimate preview for Vintage. This is the Silver King signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.